Well, good morning. How is everybody? <laughs> Sunshine. There's a lot of remotes up here right now. I'm going to knock them off if I don't take care of them. Woo. Okay. Well, good morning. My name's Mike Dinius, and I don't know if I'm really loud to you guys. I'm really loud to myself, but that's okay. Uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Do Over. Um, it's the beginning of the new year. It's an opportunity for us to like, new year, new you. How many of us, if you are brave enough to raise your hand, are watching what you eat right now? Because it is the new year. I am watching what I eat. I watch it go on my fork and into my mouth. I've been doing really good until yesterday. Our daughters are on honor roll and we're like, let's do something nice for them. Let's take them out to lunch. So naturally all you can eat sushi is what we did. I limited myself. I did really good. I only ate like 30 pieces of sushi. And that truly is limiting myself. My wife will attest to that. I didn't go back for seconds. I didn't even get a fried Oreo. Right? That's, that's the sound of growing up. Passing on the fried Oreo. That's the sound of growing up. Well, we're in this sermon series called Do Over. And today we're going to be talking about principles from a potter. You see, in Jeremiah 18, God tells Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and look at what's happening. And in Jeremiah 18, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working on his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. This whole sermon series is all about starting over, starting fresh, doing over. And a lot of people will tell you that God is perfect. And that is true. God is perfect. But when you start talking about, well, God doesn't need to start over because he's perfect. It's not true. Yes, God is perfect, but he's working with impure people. He's working with impure people. In Jeremiah, we find God talking about the Israelites are being exiled. And Israel has disobeyed God, even though they were continually warned over generations. It wasn't just like, if you don't clean your room, you're going to go sit and time out. And it's like... Right then and there. No, over hundreds and hundreds of years, God has been telling Israel, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, bad things are happening. They're going to happen. It's going to happen. When we were raising our children, we're still raising our children, but when, when they were smaller, I hated the countdown thing. Three, two, two and a, one and a half. No, no, that doesn't fly in my house. Cassie one time started counting down, and when she got to two, I spanked Kara. She didn't even get to one. She shouldn't have to count down. Literally, God is counting down for the Israelites. He's giving them, he loves them so much, he's given them ample opportunity throughout history. If you read the book of Judges, every story in Judges starts off with, once again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Mike translation is, once again, the Israelites were idiots and didn't do what God told them to do. 
It's the truth. And God loves them so much. He said they're set apart for him. They're his chosen people. He wanted to use them. But they're going through the ringer because of their their sin. And it's not like it shouldn't have been a surprise to them. Because God told them this was going to happen. Can I tell you that what's happening right now was not God's original plan? What's happening to the Israelites in Jeremiah 18 was not God's original plan? God's original plan is the Garden of Eden. He created something perfect so he could be with his people. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But there's some lessons in this chapter we can learn from about starting over, about doing over, and about how God will start over with us. Well, what are those principles from a potter? Well, number one, this is not God's plan A. This is not plan A. In fact, there is a book written about, it's called Plan B. (laughs) It's all about how this is not God's plan A. In Jeremiah 18, verse 4, we see that. It says, but the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Like I said a minute ago, plan A was the Garden of Eden. Have you ever wondered what the time frame was from the moment God created Adam and Eve to the moment he exiled them from the garden? As I'm getting ready for this, this is just a Mike D thought. We don't know. We don't know how long plan A lasted. It could have been days, weeks, years. We don't know how long that was. But for a time, God's plan A was working. He lived among his people. He walked with them. They lived in paradise. We do know that plan A eventually failed. Not because God is imperfect. Not because God caused it to fail. But because we were dumb. Because as humanity, we were selfish and we were deceived. We wanted more than what God had given us. We wanted more than the Garden of Eden. And so God's plan A failed. But God loves us. Just like he loved the Israelites in Jeremiah. God loves us. And he didn't want us to stay failed. So he brought about plan B. And that's apparent in plan B. You see in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. We see God's plan B. It says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, big word, SAT word. You guys know what those are? SAT words? They're words in the vocabulary of SAT tests. When you hear an SAT word, sometimes your eyes just glaze back, roll back, and you stop listening. But don't stop listening. Big word here. This is the Proto-Evangelion. Okay, I heard a huh. Proto-evangelion. That just means this is the first prophecy of the coming of Jesus. The first prophecy of the coming of Jesus happens in the third chapter of the Bible. It happens before we're even cast out of Eden. Because they get cast out of Eden after this. God says, okay, you guys screwed up plan A. We got plan B. It's cool. We got it. It's going to be fine. It's Kind of going to suck for a little bit. But Jesus is coming. Wait, Jesus? Who's Jesus? Well, you'll find out. 
I got a plan B because I love you guys and I want to live with you. I want to have that relationship with you. And just like with the, with Adam and Eve, with us, the plan B, we see there's a plan B in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you. And I will bring you home again to your own land. Yes, the Israelites are being exiled. Yes, that's horrible. Yes, they're reaping what they sowed. Everything is happening like God said it would. Because they screwed up plan A. Well, whatever plan letter you want to put there. But God says, you know what? I have a plan for you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to reconcile you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to make you a royal priesthood, a holy nation again. I have a plan for you. And what we learn from this passage is God has a plan for us too. Yes, this passage is written to ancient Israelites. But everything in the Old Testament is written for us too. And I want you to know, no matter where you're at in your life, whatever plan number, letter, symbol you're on, God has a plan for you too. He has a plan to bring you to himself and use you because he wants you to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. I got to ask you though, do you doubt that? Do you doubt that God has a plan for your life? Is it hard to see right now in your life? Is it hard to see because of the, the choices you've made or the choices people around you have made? I want you to know God has a plan for your life. He wants to be in your life and he wants to use you. But there's another question that goes with that. Same with the Israelites. Are you trying to live according to God's plan? Or are you just expecting it to happen without your input? You see, the Israelites weren't just given back everything. There was a law. They had to live under the law to be God's royal priesthood. We have grace. We have God's riches at Christ's expense. But we can't just do whatever we want. We can't just live however we want. We have to live in God's will. We have to live in God's plan. And if we expect God's plan to happen without us going along with a plan, do you see a problem with that? You see, this isn't God's plan A, but God can use whatever plan we're on. In Isaiah 45 verse 9, it says this, Does a clay pot dare argue with its maker? A pot that is like all the others. Does the clay ask the potter what he's doing? Does the potter complain that its maker has no skill? That would be nuts, right? If, one, if clay could talk. But if you're being created for a purpose, and the creator knows your purpose, but you're like, ah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this other thing. That doesn't make sense, does it? But how often do I live outside of the purpose God has created for me. I'm arguing with my creator, like, eh, this isn't why you made me. 
But he knows why he made me. He made me specific for a reason. That's his plan A for my life. Is God trying to make you into a bowl, but you want to be a cup? Are you working with God on his plan, or are you doing your own thing and expect to be blessed because of it? That hurt me. (laughs) That hurt me. How often do I want to do my own thing and expect God to just bless it? I do and then ask for the blessing instead of asking God, is this what you want for my life? How often do my kids just do something and then expect to be forgiven and me to move on? It's the same thing with God. I learned so much about my father being a dad. I learned so much by being a parent about how God looks at me and treats me. So much. So this isn't God's plan A. Number two, even though this isn't God's plan A, God uses plans B, C, D, dot, dot, dot. You throw in an epsilon in there if you want. Beta, dash two, I don't know. There's, there's so many things that God works through. You see, I don't know how many of you have ever like thrown clay uh, my, my friend Ryan Donahue would be up here with his wheel and he'd be spinning clay, throwing clay. It'd be a hot mess, but he always made some pretty things. We still have coffee mugs at our house that he made. We still use them. You see, but clay isn't perfect. Um, I have the next best thing to clay. Uh, you may not be up here, but you know what this smells like in my hand. You know what Play-Doh smells like. Um, right now, this Play-Doh seems perfect, right? Right now, it's, it's in the shape that it was manufactured in. It's all one color. It, well, this is one color, and this is one color. They're not mixed together. They're, that hasn't been left out for a week underneath a bed where it's all crunchy and rubbed into the carpet. Parents are laughing right now because that happens. We moved out of our old house, and along with finding a dead fish, which that's a whole other story, and a loose tooth... We found Play-Doh ground into our carpet. It's not my house anymore, so whatever. But you you know, like, oh, there's there's so much we could do with this, right? Um, what's the easiest thing to make with Play-Doh? A snake. Thank you, whoever said that. A snake is the easiest thing to make with Play-Doh. Because, like, all you do is, yeah, it's a snake. Look at that. Yay. But how many of us, after the first time we make something, it, it has all these little little grooves in it, right? So as it goes, the stake starts breaking because it's not perfect anymore, right? And you got to smash it back down, and you got to kind of work with it, get crumbs all over my papers, and you got to make sure all those grooves are out so you can make a snake again. Look at that. It didn't fall apart this time. It's a snake. Yay, it's a snake. And clay is very much the same. There'll be air pockets. There'll be little little cuts, little mars. There'll be uh, dry spots. You've got to keep your clay moist if you want to work with it. And potters are always adding water to it, right? What if the Play-Doh breaks while I'm making something? What do I do? I just start over, right? Uh, how many of you either when you were a child or when your child children were playing with Play-Doh, got really upset because the thing they wanted to make wasn't working out. 
Right now in our house, the big deal is Legos. Like, if somebody comes over and messes with their Legos, oh my gosh, they touched my Legos and they took a piece off. I go, hey, you know the best thing about Legos? What? You can build it again. That way it's not just sitting there on the shelf. That's the cool thing about Legos. And, and they're like, but you got mad when we took apart your thing. I go, that's because I don't have the directions anymore. And then I found out you get the directions off the website. Um, but in Jeremiah, again, Jeremiah 18 verse 4, but the jar he was making did not turn out as he hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. So what you're telling me is when the potter is making something and it falls apart in his hand, he doesn't just take it and throw it out the door. He crushes it down and he starts all over again. Well, what if we have messed up so bad? We've messed up so bad and, man, it's horrible. It's horrible what I did. I I don't know. There's a part of my life I don't like anymore. It's just, what if we messed up so bad? So bad. And we can't see. I know. Some of you are cringing right now. Because I just took blue and I took yellow. And I combined them. What if we messed up so bad? God can't possibly use us anymore, right? What if we messed up so bad? We have screwed up plan A. We screwed up plan B. We screwed up plan C. We just keep screwing up. God can't use me. God can't use me. And God says, no. I can use you. Think about the people in scripture who have screwed up. Everyone. Everyone. You know there are only two people in scripture that their flaws are not talked about. And even one of those people, I argue his flaws are talked about. The big one is Jesus. We don't talk about his flaws, right? But the other one, there's a little bit, I think there's pride in his story. But they never talk about his sin, and that's Joseph. If you think about it, they never actually talk about his sin, but there's pride in there when he talks to his brothers about, you're going to bow down to me. i got the coat of many colors. But everybody else, the, the fathers of faith, the fathers of faith, Abraham lied that his wife was his sister twice, <laughs> took multiple wives, took tried to work outside of God's plan for him with Ishmael. He just... How is he the father of faith? Think about Moses. Little Moses. Think about Moses. He's supposed to lead everybody out of Egypt. And he did a good job. But even he screwed up. He screwed up. He, he struck the rock when he was supposed to tap it. He had an anger issue. What about Noah. Noah's a man, righteous man, right? He was saved, which by the way, Noah's ark, that's a do-over. That's God saying, hey, let's, let's start this over again. But even Noah, after he got off the ark, he planted a vineyard. He got wasted, like blackout drunk, and his sons found him. That was awkward. God used him. What about David? David, when kings were supposed to go to war, David went to the roof. And his roof was taller than everybody else's roofs. And everybody took their baths on their roof so he could see everybody's roof. He knew what he was doing when he saw Bathsheba. And then afterwards, when she got pregnant, he had her husband killed to cover it up. God used him. What about Samson? 
Did God use Samson? Was Samson an idiot? <laughs> yes. He, he was supposed to be set apart for God's will. But he did his own thing. How many times? <laughs> Every time. Every time he did his own thing. And I could keep going. I could talk about Paul, who originally was Saul, who murdered Christians. I could talk about Isaac. I could talk about Jacob. I could talk about the kings of Israel and Judah. They were supposed to be used by God. But how often do we read about good kings in the books of Chronicles and Kings and Samuel? There's few and far between, right? At least that's what it seems like. We could talk about the disciples. We could talk about the disciples. Matthew was a tax collector. Peter kept putting his foot in his mouth. They were fishermen. They were uh, zealots. They were people who fought against Rome. Yet Jesus used all of them. The disciples ran when the Romans came for Jesus. They ran. The Bible is filled with screw-ups. But every single one of them, God said, I want to use you. And if I stood up here a little bit longer, talking about a little bit more stories, we would have a more uniform green lump of Play-Doh that we could start over again. And God said, plan A was yellow or plan A was blue. Plan B is green. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use what you have and I'm going to glorify my name. You see, the potter doesn't discard the clay if it gets ruined. He starts over. God is not going to discard you when the plan gets messed up. God wants to reconcile you. He wants to bring you back. He wants to use you to glorify his name, to expand his kingdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18, it says this, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Jesus is the ultimate plan. Jesus is the ultimate plan. And God wants to use us in whatever plan we're in to bring people to him. God says, yeah, you were messed up. But I can use that. I can use where you're at. You can be mine. This isn't plan A, and God can use plan B, C, D. He has a plan for all of us to come back to him. And his plan involves us bringing others to, to him as well. Number three, God wants to shape me. Just like that potter wants to shape the clay he has in his hand, God wants to shape you. Jeremiah 18.6 says, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to the clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. I went to school to be an artist. That's how I know God has a sense of humor. Thank you for chuckling at that. A lot of you know I work in a steel shop. I don't use my degree. I have a degree. I don't use it. But in school, we had to sit down every time we had a project, and we had to Think about what our project was going to be. Every artist knows what the project should look like when it's done. Every architect knows what the building should look like when it's done. There's a plan, 
and we know what the plan at the end looks like. My plan was to make a ball. Success. Look at that. I made a ball. If my plan was to make a snake, I know what it would look like at the end. If my plan was to make a giraffe, I know what it would look like at the end. At least what I think it would look like, because I'm not, I was 2D, not 3D, uh, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but I have an idea of what it should look like at the end, right? Michelangelo quoted this. The sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It's already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. Artists, craftsmen, they know the final project, what it will look like before they ever start. The same is with God. He knows what you're going to look like before you ever get started on that plan. God sees the you he is crafting inside the you that exists now. God has not finished working on any of us. We should all be growing. None of us should be the same tomorrow as we are today. That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy or comfortable. There's a reason we have the term growing pains. But if I'm the same tomorrow as I was today, am I really growing? God is shaping each of us for a purpose. We are all clay in the potter's hands. I can make anything out of this Play-Doh. We all start as a lump of clay. Some of us are going to be bowls. Some of us are going to be cups. Some of us are going to be plates. All starts in the same spot. But each one has a different purpose. Each one is useful. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Romans 9, 20 through 21 says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and one for dishonorable use? We all have different abilities because we are all shaped differently. There are people that only you can talk to that I cannot. Some of you are bowls. Some of you are plates. I can't do what you do. And if you would have told me 20 years ago, I'd be up here talking to you this morning, I'd tell you you were hilarious. But over the last 20 years, God has shaped me using other people to be in this position. Over the last 20 years, for those of you that are old enough to say this, God has shaped you to be in a position where you are. God wants to use you. God wants to be near you. God wants you to be a part of his plan. Now my hands are sticky from playing with Play-Doh and I can't turn pages. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. Do you know your purpose? Do you know your purpose? Do you know the purpose for which God has shaped you? I want to encourage you, if you don't, get involved in a small group. 
Or if you are involved in a small group, talk to your small group like, hey, I don't know why I was shaped this way. Because that's where I learned my purpose, is in a small group. Somebody in a small group was like, hey, you're really good at this. Oh, maybe I should look at that. Or, hey, you're really good at this. Maybe I should look at that. Get involved in a small group. It's a great first step to finding out why you were shaped the way you were shaped. You can start serving in your small group and then branch out into different ministries. But know this, God wants to shape each of us for a specific reason, for a purpose. We're not just randomly made. God has reasons. So with these three principles, what do I need to do with all this? What's the next step that I need to take? What's the next step for me? Well, I have a very unspecific answer for you because I can't tell each and every one of you your specific answer. But here's your, here's the answer. Trust the potter's hands. Trust the potter's hands. Jeremiah 18 verse 6 in the International Children's Bible. Family of Israel, can't I do the same thing with you, says the Lord? You are like the clay in the potter's hands. God can take what you have and use it to glorify him. Life in the potter's hands looks different for each person. And it's not always pleasant. Like I said earlier, there's growing pains when you surrender your life to Christ. However, being in the potter's hands is the absolute best place to live. Because God is creator of all. He knows the absolute best way to live. So if I live in the potter's hands, that's the best place for me. Think about some of these, these terms that come with, with shaping clay, with forming clay. There's throwing. You throw the clay. You, you get it to start working. There's throwing. There's crushing. There's crushing. There's slapping. There's cutting. I didn't bring my knife, but there's cutting. Dousing. So you got to add water. There's dousing. There's flattening. Sometimes even take rolling pins and flatten it out really, really flat. There's molding where you just remember the the hair press when you played with Play-Doh. That's the only spaghetti. Yeah. Uh, There's firing. So drying out to get the clay to harden. You got to fire it. You got to add heat. I'm really selling living in the potter's hands right now because all those terms are pottery terms, right? Mike, why do you bring all of that up? Because God knows what we need to be the shape he wants us to be. If we expect to say the same, we're not going to grow. And if we expect to never come in contact contact with conflict, we can't expect to grow. God's going to put things in our lives that are going to push us, that are going to shape us, that are going to mold us. The potter is working on me. Sometimes that means he's caressing me. Sometimes that means he's cutting me. Uh, A while ago, I don't remember how long ago, uh, Mike brought up to the youth ministry staff uh, a lesson that has stayed with me since. Um, It wasn't a fun lesson, Mike. It was not a fun lesson, but he he talked about a prayer. And and we prayed it. Uh, It's a very simple prayer. Don't pray it if you're not ready. But it goes like this. Stretch me. Heal me. Ruin me. Stretch me. For clay to be moldable, it's got to be stretched. You got to work with it. 
Uh, if I let this Play-Doh sit for a while, it'll get hard. To keep it workable, you've got to stretch it. You've got to mold it. But sometimes when you stretch it, it breaks. It's not perfect. So you've got to put it back together and you've got to heal it. So God, stretch me. Stretch me. Make me uncomfortable. Put me in uncomfortable situations. Help me grow. But after I grow, I'm going to need to be healed. I'm going to need to be put back together because I can't walk away from everything. So I need healing. But, you know, sometimes after healing, we've gotten comfortable. We've gotten comfortable where we're at. God has stretched us. God has used us. But now I'm, I'm pretty comfortable where I'm sitting right now. Uh, I'm in this nice little shape. Uh, I think this is where God wants me. It's not where God wants me. So for me to go where he wants me to go, for me to be the shape he wants me to be, he's got to ruin me. He's got to humble me. Because I can get complacent. I can get comfortable. And I won't want to move. So God's got to ruin me. That's not fun. That's not an easy prayer to pray. And I didn't just pray it once. It's, it's been a few times in my life that I've used this prayer. But then the cycle repeats. And God will stretch me a little bit. And then God will heal me. But then I'll get comfortable again. And God will ruin me. Mike, that sounds hard. It's very hard. But like I said, living in the potter's hand is the best place to, to live. And God is willing to do over with you. No matter what you've done, God is willing to do over with you. One of my favorite chapters in all of scripture is Hebrews chapter 12. And it's not a fun chapter. It talks about disciplining us. That's how we know we're God's children, because he disciplines us. Wow. I'm loved because God disciplines me. My children are loved because I discipline them. We've all seen children that weren't disciplined. And you could say, well, brats is what they are. But I'm loved because God disciplines me. But at the end of the chapter, at the end of the chapter, it says this. In verse 26 through 29. And it's not on your screen. You can write it down. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 through 29. It says, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I love that that term once more that means god's going to do something again it's a do-over and he's going to remove the the dry spots he's going to remove the impurities he's going to remove that and what's going to be left is his kingdom because it cannot be shaken and i want to be a part of that kingdom i want all those impurities removed out of my life i want to be shaped the way he wants to use me i want to trust the potter's hand Because it's the absolute best place to live. Being shaped by the potter is the absolute best decision you can make. Our creator knows our purpose. Your creator knows your purpose. Life is better when you are living in a way that fulfills your purpose. Where are you today? Where are you? Are you in the potter's hand? Living by his plan? Are you doing your own thing? Where are you? If you're not in the potter's hand, there are people here who can talk to you about what I'm talking about. Sometimes metaphors get confusing. If you're not in God's hands, if you're not his children, 
There are people in this room that would love to sit down and open up scripture about how you can be his child. You see, that proto-evangelion in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the, the first prophecy about the coming Messiah, about Jesus, tied to Jeremiah 29, 11, 14. I know the plans I have for you. God has a plan for every one of us, and it involves Christ because he came. He died a death that we deserved. He took our impurities. He took the hard spots. He took the misaligned colors. He took the air pockets out by dying on the cross with our sin. And he sacrificed himself to fulfill the law that was required for sin. He didn't stay dead. He came out of the tomb alive. He had conquered death for us. And if we are baptized with him into his death, through his blood, we are also baptized with him into his life because he has conquered death. He is the firstborn of a new creation. And we can be a part of that new creation. We can be shaped to be a part of that new creation just like he is. We can be heirs with him. If you don't understand any of that, talk to somebody who invited you this morning. Ask them, hey, Mike was talking about being shaped. I don't understand any of that. They would love to open up scripture with you. You might be surprised how excited they get talking about God's love. If you're already his children, are you walking with him in his hands? Are you going by his plan? Are you allowing him to shape you? Because if not, repent of that. Change your heart. You could look at the parable of the soils. I didn't even hit on that today. It was too much to talk about. Parable of the soils. Clay's just dirt. Where's your heart at? What type of heart are you? Are you the heart that's been trampled on and it's hard? Or are you the fertile soil? Are you the rocky soil? What are you? Where Can God's word get in your heart? Are you allowing God to shape you? And I want to leave you with this last passage. Again, it's not on your screen. But it's from the first, it's quoted a lot in the first episode of The Chosen. It's Isaiah 43, 1. It says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God is calling each of us. To be formed by him. To be shaped by him. For his purpose, not our own. And I want to encourage you today. Are you being shaped by God? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sending your son. For shaping us. For providing a way. Father, thank you for your patience with us. Your perseverance with us. Your consistency with us. Your willingness to use us. Father, so often we want to do our own thing. So often, like sheep, we've gone astray. And so often we've made poor choices. Help us, Father, to choose you every day. Help us, Father, to surrender our lives to you. Help us to be moldable. Help us to be shaped by you. Thank you so much for your son providing a way for us to live with you eternally. Thank you for this time and this place, Father. Please work on each of our hearts. It's your name I pray. Amen. Jesus, I am thirsty. I am learning how to hunger for more of you.
with praise Fill up my heart with song For the journey is long And I need your strength Jesus, your love is more than enough Come and fill me From the burdens of so many sins, you are the water, and I offer all of my life into your hands. Spirit, come, fill up my lungs with air, my voice with prayer and my song for the journey is long and i need your strength jesus your love is more than enough come and fill me fill me up you are For the journey is long and I need your strength. Jesus, your love is 